Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, welcome into Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, uh, no Ian Smith today because Smithy is on holiday, um, which is great for Smithy. Uh, and I'm in for you and through till midday today. Uh, of course, we had an all-whites team named this morning. Uh, Danny Hay has un- announced the side that will go uh, to play Peru in Barcelona uh, in early June and also I believe it's going to be a behind closed doors game against Iran as well. Uh, here is the squad. Matthew Gould, Stefan Marinovic and Oli Sale are the keepers. Michael Boxall, Liberato Kakache, Francis De Vries, Dane Ingham, Nico Kerwin, Tim Payne, Nando Pinaka. Winston Reid, Tommy Smith and Bill Tuiloma are the defenders. Joe Bell, Matt Garbett, Elijah Just, Clayton Lewis, Marco Rojas and Marco Stamanek are the midfielders. And the forward line, Costa Barbarousas, Joey Champness, Alex Grieve, Callum McCowett, Logan Rogerson, Ben Wayne and Chris Wood. So those are the games June 6 against Peru in Barcelona and then June 9 in uh, Doha behind closed doors, I believe, against Iran. And then June 14, that's the Wednesday game, is the one that counts against Costa Rica. Of course, uh, two big names missing from there, Ryan Thomas and Sarpreet Singh. Singh has a groin injury and uh, can, is, is still trying to recover, so he's OK for the World Cup. And Ryan Thomas has had ongoing injuries for the last two years and is really struggling. So those are the two big names missing. But otherwise, a pretty strong-looking all-white squad, it has to be said. Uh, good to see Marco Rojas back in the mix as well. Double eight double three. Double eight double three is the Temper Bedpost text machine number. So keen to hear your thoughts on that all white squad. Anybody that's missed out for you? Uh, what are your thoughts on Rojas being back after being out for so long? And how much will not having Sarpreet Singh particularly, uh, given we haven't had Ryan Thomas for a while, how much will that hurt the All-Whites? So, uh, yeah, keen to get your take on that double eight double three. Also, today's Mount Rushmore is football-related, with the Wellington Phoenix bowing out of the playoffs after losing 1-0 to Western United on the weekend. We thought our Mount Rushmore should be the top four Phoenix players of all time. So who are your Mount Rushmore Phoenix players? You can get those through double eight double three. the Temper Bedpost text machine. Clayton Lewis 
who is a part of that all-white squad, is going to join us after 10 o'clock. Be uh, great to talk to Clayton because, of course, he was part of the Phoenix setup as well. He's overcome ankle ligament uh, injury to be part of the, the last two games of the season for them. We'll, we'll get a take on how he's fearing, how the ankle feels, and uh, what it's like to be named in this squad with the World Cup qualifier not too far away now, less than a month away, in fact, for that. So Clayton Lewis is on with us after 10 o'clock. I can also update you uh, from Football point of view this morning, there was a big game in the Premier League. Newcastle United hosted Arsenal. It was Newcastle's last home game of the season. Arsenal needed to win to go back into the top four. And that would uh, mean Champions League football, of course. But they lost. Newcastle United win 2-0. So Arsenal are a point behind Spurs now with one game each left. Spurs go to Norwich on the last day of the season, who are the bottom club in the Premier League and already relegated. Arsenal have to host Everton. Uh, and it looks like it's now in Spurs' court to be a Champions League team for next season. And Arsenal have all of a sudden, Logan, become very Spursy. <laughs> Very Spursy. I love that. This The whole race for the title is just so intriguing. And we're going to talk about this more, no doubt, with our Mount Rushmore, with the Wellington Phoenix. But working with you, Ricardo, is slowly turning me more and more into a football fan. It's good to hear. I like it. Oh, the, the more of us, the better. The more of us, the better, I think. Um, have you got a team? I don't, I don't have a team yet. I mean, I might lean towards Liverpool just because uh, one of my best mates is one of those tragic, passionate Liverpool fans like you are with Man U. Yeah. So maybe there, maybe there. Uh, TFC, Toronto FC, as, as far as I've gone so far. Okay, okay. So Toronto FC, because you lived in Toronto for a while, so you're you're wearing your Blue Jays top today. You're also a Maple Leafs fan, so you're still in mourning from the weekend. Uh, it's Toronto through and through for you? I'm not talking about that right now. Okay, good. All right, well, that's one way to get Logan to turn off his microphone. Mention the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah, sorry about that, Lokes. Um, but there you go. So uh, that's coming up. Um, now, speaking of uh, basketball as well, we've got the NBA playoffs uh, well and truly underway. Yesterday, the Suns, the number one team in the West, absolutely cooked it. They just didn't turn up. They got smashed, absolutely hammered by the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavs go through to play the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. The Celtics uh, had a big win against the Bucks yesterday as well, so they'll meet the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Benyam Kidney uh, from NBA Australia Senior Editor is going to join us, and uh, we're going to talk to him after 11 o'clock as well. Uh, and, of course, right throughout the show, we are going to be talking about Mount Rushmore of Phoenix players. So um, keep... Keep coming through with your texts on double eight double three, the Temper Beard Post text machine, as to your top four Phoenix players of all time for the Mount Rushmore. Dale has texted through the Red Scummer, two points behind the pride of North London. I'm, I'm picking that means he's a Spurs fan, so two points, not one point. So yes, so Arsenal need Tottenham to lose to Norwich. Um, I know there will be a few Spurs. Um, there'll be a few Spurs fans who will be a little bit nervous that Delia Smith is going to cook them a special lasagna. It's happened before in Premier League history. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Of course, one of the big stories yesterday that came out was the high-performance sport and Cycling New Zealand. Uh, there was another review done three and a half years after the last review, and we're going to talk about that shortly. Now it's a
Uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand and Cycling New Zealand have been under the microscope and not for the first time either. We had it three and a half years ago, but there has been another report done post the death of cyclist Olivia Podmore and it uh, has been something that has shocked the cycling world and I think New Zealand sport as a whole because what happened three and a half years ago doesn't seem to have accounted for much. It's been a lot of hot air that has turned into pretty much no changes at all. And joining us now is Dana Johansson from Stuff, Stuff Journalist. How are you, Dana? I'm good, thanks, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. And thanks very much for joining us. Of course, uh, the Heron Report Mark II came out yesterday. A lot of this around, of course, what happened with Olivia Podmore, uh, the New Zealand cyclist. Um, it feels like we've been here before. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I mean, we had a Heron Report in 2018. So why are we here again? Yeah, absolutely. There was a sense of, of deja vu about yesterday's announcement, um, even the, the fact we were sitting in a room where I think they announced the findings of the New Zealand Hockey Report into the Black Six Women's Environment a few years ago. So, um, yeah, there's been over the last four years, we've seen hundreds of pages of sports reviews sort of piling up on, on the desks of High Performance Sport NZ. Um, but the real tragedy here is obviously it was cycling. This is the second crack at trying to find out what's going on in them, that environment. And it took the death of a young athlete to, to lead to this sort of critical look again at, at that high performance program. So, um, yeah, you, there was a real sense of, of, um, sadness in the room yesterday. Um, and, Cycling New Zealand chairman Phil Holden at one point in what was a quite a tense media conference said, you know, we don't want there to be another cycling inquiry. We want this to be the last cycling inquiry. And to that, I think everyone on the panel sort of nodded in agreement. I mean, Grant Robertson, who's the Minister of Sport and Recreation, uh, I mean, surely some of this is, you know, it's on his watch. So some of this has got to be uh, on him. I mean, he said at the time of the last one that they need to ensure the lessons of the report are acted upon. Uh, and three and a half years ago, uh, three and a half years later, I should say, um, he's talking about the same thing again. Now, given that Olivia Podmore, it was uh, basically they knew in the first uh, report that she had been coerced into giving a false statement to protect a, a teammate and a, and, a, and a coach. I would have thought that that would have been dealt with. Why are we still talking about that now? And why wasn't anything done about it in the meantime if uh, the report was so enacted upon? Yeah, that's the thing. I think it was it was mentioned in the report that, um, by all accounts, most of the recommendations were enacted from that first report. Um, and so, you know, boxes were ticked. They put new policies in place. They did all the things that Mike Heron suggested. And so, and they're reporting back to High Performance Board and Z, which then along went back to the minister's office. Um, they gave the impression that everything was, you know, cranking along quite nicely down there. Um, but, yeah, there just seems to be what the, the review panel identified as being this disconnect between the executive um, and what was actually happening at, at, on the ground and, and with you know, you know, the actual culture of the organisation was not reflected in, in the stated culture, I guess. Um, and I guess that's the frustrating thing. So we've, we hear about this time and time again, about this misalignment between policies and actions. And so you can put all the policies in place you like, um, but if... if if you know the value systems that drive the behaviour weren't changed, then nothing's going to change. 
It feels like, from what you're saying and from what I've read in this report and, and, and your uh, brilliant piece that was uh, pr- uh, published on Stuff Today, that there's a disconnect between the coaches slash team managers and the board, that those coaches, team managers, to an extent, um, are, are a power unto themselves and there's a lack of transparency between the two so they can carry on and do what they do they, they want to do regardless of what's happened at board level? Yeah, absolutely. But also you've got to say that that, that the leadership of that organisation, the board and, and its CEO, need to take responsibility for not holding those coaches and high-performance directors accountable and asking the right questions of them. They seem to just have um, accepted what they've been told by high-performance directors and not properly question them about what's going on um, and allow them to have that overriding power. Um, and that's what we see in high-performance environments around the country is that um, the governance is not set up to ask the critical questions that they need to of the high-performance um, directors and coaches. So there needs to be, for, you know, and, and not just in cycling, but looking, given that, you know, we've had this in swimming, we've had this in hockey, uh, it, it feels like there needs to be, uh, I don't know whether it's an athlete's union is the right term, but there needs to be an independent body where athletes, if they don't feel like they've been listened to by coaches or team managers or, uh, you know, they've been pressured uh, or coerced into doing what they don't feel is right or they're not comfortable with, there needs to be an outlet for them somewhere that we don't currently have. Oh, absolutely. I think independent representation for our athletes is, is a critical step from here. Um, similar to what we see in, I guess, with um, rugby and cricket and netball, they have players' associations and those bodies advocate very strongly on behalf of their athletes to ensure that they do get fair treatment. Any issues can be raised through that body and that can then be taken to the leadership of, of the respective organisations. Um, in a way that the athletes feel safe um, in raising it and they do feel like they have a power and a voice there. And that just has not happened um, with, I guess, these Olympic sports, which are which are funded by the government. Um, I think the report describes these NSOs that are um, critically funded by High Performance Oriented as publicly funded monopolies. And they have all the power in the situation. You know, if you have a dispute with, with the... Um, with the NSO, it's not like you can pack up and go elsewhere and still represent your country. You've, you've just got to um, sit there and take it, and that leads to um, quite a chilling power imbalance, and that's what really needs to be addressed by having independent representation. High Performance Sport New Zealand say, hey, we're already looking at this. Um, we're already looking to set up a body, but you know that's the worrying thing is that High Performance Sport again are saying, oh, we will set up a body. It needs to be independent, and it's be completely removed from high-performance sport and any of the NSOs. I mean, one of the issues is for the athletes that, you know, even if they are high-performance athletes, they're not earning a great deal of money through the high-performance programme, uh, so they are very much beholden to the organisation for, for their earnings uh, throughout the year. Is is there anything that they can do, given that we have a living wage outside of sport? Is there anything that, that can be done on that front, I know there was some talk about potentially rather than making athletes contracted, making them actual employees. Yeah, that was one of the issues raised or one of the recommendations raised by um, the review panel. Um, at this stage, High Performance Sport and Cycling have not committed to taking that step. I think um, it is a really tricky one. There is only a limited pool of funding, but it, it is something that um, should be looked at. And as the review panel say, it's not impossible. It can be done. And when you look at this, this entire system, you, you know, the coaches, um, the support staff, they will rely on these athletes for their paycheck and yet the athletes don't get a, a decent 
salary in return and they don't get any rights in return. You look at the athlete contracts and they are quite shocking. They give all the power to the organisation and in no other industry would you allow workers to operate under those terms. You know, they're just simply, simply unacceptable according to Mike Heron. Has there been anything flagged in terms of uh, what might be done, whether it's from Grant Robertson or whether it's from High Performance New Zealand and how they can go forward here and improve that situation? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, they're saying we're committed to enacting all the recommendations and looking at things. Um, certainly, Cycling New Zealand, we're a lot stronger on that front, a lot more convincing on, front, on that front. Um, High Performance Board NZ, Raylene Castle, the director there, she was, uh, I guess, a little bit more circumspect with her comments and didn't really commit to actions um, I think she said that they would be look, like talking about it with the board and, and going over the review and digesting things and then making an action plan from there. So, um, you know, some of the recommendations in the report were quite radical. We're talking about completely basically dismantling the funding system, this whole model of centralisation, changing athlete contracts. And, you know, that, that would mean basically taking down the foundations of high-performance sport and the way we've done elite sport in this country for the past couple of decades. So, um, yeah, it is a big one for them to consider. The worrying thing for me is that Castle was um, indicating that, you know, a lot of this work is already in train with their new high-performance strategy, which was released late last year while this inquiry was underway um, in terms of they, they brought in a new funding criteria that, that did pin wellbeing um, objectives as part of uh, whether a sport will get funding. Um, but the review panel found that that these steps are still not sufficient and they, they don't go far enough. So um, on one side we have Castle saying, look, we're already on top of the stuff and on the other side a review panel saying, hmm, we're not sh- quite sure if this goes far enough. Yeah, Castle's an interesting one for me. I'd be interested to get your take on it. I mean, she did well as the head of netball in New Zealand, but I mean, it's very much a niche sport on the world stage. She went to rugby league and failed. She went to Australian rugby and failed. She's back here. Is she the right person to lead high-performance sport in New Zealand, do you think? I think it's a really difficult role, and yeah, <laughs> um, that that there's you know, she came in as, as the head of Sport New Zealand and then in the interim, the CEO of High Performance Sport New Zealand stepped down and she took over both organisations. Um, it was supposed to be in an interim role in terms of the High Performance Sport body. Um, she's now been appointed full-time in that position. I just think it's too big a remit and you're balancing, um, I guess, two competing ideals of Sport New Zealand, which is supposed to be about uh, active participation and recreation and building happier and healthier communities in this very elite high performance end where the objectives are quite different. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I don't think the role should be combined. And I think, yeah, um, the, the problem is that they've just done this governance review and, and appointed Castle into that role. The other thing I think is, is a real struggle for Castle at the moment and it showed with her comments yesterday and that um, she's working in the, in the public service now. She's used to coming from these commercial operations where the, they, you know, they weren't answerable to the, the taxpayer. So, um, I, and they don't have that whole, I guess, bureaucracy around things and the Public Services Commission breathing down their neck. And I think that's been a real struggle for the likes of Castle to, to get ahead around that and that she is answerable to the taxpayer. What did you make of the appointment of Karen Smith? Yeah, again, that was just a bit of a head scratcher and that I'm not, you know, while Karen Smith obviously has incredible credentials and I think will be, you know, really good in that role and, and could do some great things for Cycling New Zealand. 
the, the weird thing is that, you know, they're in possession of this document that talks about um, a lack of accountability and transparency around recruitment processes, um, this kind of shoulder-tapping culture within New Zealand sport where talent seems to be recycled and they just use the same personnel, the same voices each time, you know, jobs are sort of traded around like, like um, baseball cards. Jobs for the boys, and I think yet, you said, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that wasn't my line. That was uh, one of the lines in the report, um, or jobs for the mates as well in this case. So, um, yeah, that was the kind of frustrating thing is that they're talking about this drive to improve transparency and accountability. And then on the other hand, they just go and behave the same way they always have. Another another point that was highlighted in the report, and they don't seem to grasp that yet, and that's the kind of concerning thing is that um, they're like, you know, Phil Holden tried to defend that action and I'm, I'm certain he's, he's found the right person for the job. It's just the process that people were questioning. Yeah, well, I mean, is burning down the centralised system the worst thing? Because I look at, uh, I'm trying to grab names here, but they're escaping me, but we've had cyclists, we've had people in sailing, we've had people in canoeing. I know we've had Amy Fisher, for example, is another one who basically have disagreed with the centralised system, don't want to be a part of it, so they take themselves out of it. But when they then outperform, like Amy Fisher did with Lisa Carrington, a centralised funded athlete, they still don't get picked or High Performance Sport New Zealand find a way to get Lisa Carrington, for example. Oh, we'll turn it into a best of three. I mean, is, is burning down the central centralised system the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, I think definitely there's an argument to get rid of centralisation, particularly, you know, that Cambridge hub um, it's such a small community of sporting people down there and that can kind of like, I guess, enhance that sense of isolation and also that, that kind of identity piece where people believe, you know, I am um, Olivia Podmore, the athlete, rather than Olivia Podmore, the human being. And so that can be um, a real struggle for young athletes. Um, that is one of the key recommendations of this report is, is um, moving to away from blanket centralisation. There's still possibly a place for centralisation or having hubs, but it's a case of, you know, not relying on them throughout the year because it's a case of, you know, doing camps around key events and things like that and, and being a bit more flexible in their approach. Um, it is difficult for the sprint cyclists because they do need world-class facilities. There is a lack of velodromes around the country um, and also sprint cyclists kind of need to be training with one another day in, day out um, to be able to get the best out of one another. I think the point that the, the review panel were making were that they need to look at only doing it for certain parts of the year and having a mixed centralisation approach. And I think that should be looked at across the board in New Zealand sport because, you know, clearly there are concerns about what centralisation does for the welfare of athletes. Yeah, um, uh, thanks very much for coming on and, and giving us your thoughts, uh, Dana. It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed the pieces you've written. And, you know, let's just hope this isn't just hot air again and we get some meaningful change so we don't have to uh, suffer the loss of uh, people like Olivia Podmore again. Absolutely. Thanks, Ricardo. A chemist warehouse gift card to give away to the caller of the day as well. So get us on 0800 150 811, 0800 and we'll take your calls and talk sport after the latest news in sport with Araha, which is right now. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
There's so much to talk about today as well. Of course, we are doing the Mount Rushmore of Phoenix players, uh, so you can get those through to us on double eight double three, or even better, call us on 0800 150 811. Brad has texted through saying, "Ah, yes, looking forward to my Man United insights, Ricardo. Would love to know your thoughts. Well, Brad, I would love you to call me so I can get your thoughts and we can have that discussion. So get on the blower, mate. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811, Brad. That is our number. Give us a call and put yourself uh, in with a shot of winning that $50 Chemist Warehouse gift card. Carl has also texted through saying, how can a sport run so badly, have so much success for a country our size? That's a really good question. Uh, I think it's success in spite of itself rather than because of itself, Carl. How much more successful could we be if it was run properly? Uh, feel, Feel free to give us a call on that as well, Carl. Or Dale, if you're listening. About the red scum being two points behind the pride of North London. Lots of texts coming through this morning on double eight double three. Turn them into phone calls. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. We do have Zaid on the line, and Zaid, you want to talk to me about your Mount Rushmore of Phoenix players? Who are those four faces yeah. that are going to be chiselled into the side of Mount Victoria, mate? I'll tell you in a minute. I just got a quick question: Was Liberato Kakachi in that All Whites team? Yes, he was. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, oh yeah, I'll get on to my four quickly. Um, Jeremy Brocky. Brocky, okay. Um, Roy Krishna. Krishna, yep. Um, Mark Paston, didn't he play for the Lions and Phoenix as well? He did, yeah, yep, that's right. And and the fourth, Liberato Kakachi. Kakachi, that looks like. How old are you, Zaid? Um, Do you mind me asking? Pretty young, yeah. Pretty young. I was going to say, that looks like a young man's Wellington Phoenix uh, Mount Rushmore. I like it, though. I like it. There's some, some quality in there. But, uh, no, that's that's good, mate. I mean, in terms of uh, Brocky, I mean, we've had a lot of big names play for us. Well, what do you like so much about Jeremy Brocky? Uh, he's just a pretty good striker, I reckon, eh? Yeah, he did, he did all right. He did all right for us. Uh, did all right over, I think, at Newcastle as well, and then in South Africa too. Uh, Mark Paston, was it his Phoenix time that grabbed that for you, or was it the save against Bahrain for the All Whites that sort of put him in your frame for you? Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. That's right. There's no wrong answers here, mate. It's all opinion. So that's. I don't right. have him in my um, um, Rushmore, but probably he's obviously done pretty successful after leaving the Phoenixes. Uh, Sarpreet Singh, he's doing pretty good now as well, isn't he? He is, he is, although he's got a, a, a groin injury apparently at the moment. Uh, it's yeah, called that's what I just heard earlier. Osteitis um, pubis, which is inflammation of the pubic bone, which doesn't sound very pleasant at all. So he's going to miss these three games that the uh, that the All-Whites have coming up. I'm quite a bit up. of a fan of uh, Chelsea as well, so um, I'm interested to see what happens with this Todd Bowley um, situation and how long it's going to take to sign off. And I don't think it's going to happen, but I saw a rumour before um, that Chelsea are maybe going to try and get Robert Lewandowski, but I can't see that happen. Um, Not while they've I've still got Romelu Lukaku on their books, mate. It's just uh, too much. I think there'll be too much money yeah. involved tied up in Lukaku to go and get someone like Lewandowski. But, Zaid, thanks very much for your call. Keep the calls coming through on 0800 150 Of course, the other problem that Chelsea have is the longer that deal takes to go through, the longer they have to wait before they can sign new contracts or sign new players. Uh, and that has been a problem. So Andreas Christensen, the Danish centre-back, has already signed for Barcelona for next season. He's leaving on a free. Antonio Rudiger, who's probably their best defender, has joined Real Madrid on a free as of next season. So uh, he's only got one game left in a Chelsea shirt. Azpilicueta, who's been there forever, and uh, also uh, Marcus Alonso are also available on free transfers at the end of the season. 
Um, so Chelsea could be looking at losing four of their uh, d- defence, which is going to be hard to replace. It's a big rebuild for Thomas Tuchel, and of course, the longer the ownership thing drags on, the harder it's going to be for them to make uh, replacements and get them to the same level that they've been at. So yeah, a lot of work to do for Chelsea at the moment. It is 23 away from 10 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith on mornings. Keep your calls coming through on 0800 150 811. 11 if you want to win that $50 Chemist Warehouse gift card. We have one of those up for grabs for the best caller of the day. Uh, Logan, uh, you got thoughts? Yeah, I because today, uh, if you don't know, listeners, is the International Day Against the LGBTQIA Plus Discrimination. Mm. Uh, I definitely didn't nail that as a mouthful, but representation definitely matters. And one thing that we heard this morning, Ricardo, is that Blackpool footballer Jake Daniels has announced that he's coming out, that he is gay, and in doing so becomes the first active male British football, uh, professional player to do so since the late Justin Fagino in 1990. So, yeah. uh, I mean... It's few, far in between. I, I can't remember his name right now, but I know there was a player in the A-League that came out a few years ago and, and very young as well and heralded it as a hero for doing so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he play, uh, he's at uh, at Adelaide, actually, um, So, who is still involved in the A-League playoffs at, at this moment in time. But, yeah, I think, you know, Jake Daniels, he's at Blackpool, who are in the second tier of English football in the championship. Uh, and the fact that he has uh, come out uh, and is openly gay, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes for him. He's had, He said he's talked to his management and his teammates, and there's been a, uh, he's had a lot of support and uh, them saying, look, you know, be who you are um, and I think that's fantastic it's just I, you know once again with English football it is uh, how is that going to be um, embraced shall we say by the fans because one of the first things that uh, comes out at football games often is homophobic chanting so we'll see how that goes so uh, yeah your thoughts on that as well and I mean, when are we going to get uh, the first openly gay all black um, that's a question. That's a question. I don't know that it's going to happen uh, in the near future. But Scott from Wellington is on the line. G'day, Scott. How are you? Well, just uh, transferring Scott over. Uh, he's talking to Brian at the moment. Uh, there we go, Scott. Uh, g'day, mate. What do you What do you want to talk about today? Morning, Ricardo. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks yourself. Uh, yeah, good. Thank you. I thought I'd talk obviously about the Phoenix, the the positivities this season, and. Uh, Especially being an Everton fan myself, there hasn't been a lot to celebrate this season, so it's actually been nice uh, having the Phoenix, uh, at least on the other side of that, and and probably uh, getting ahead of where they thought they would probably be and where most people thought they'd be this season. Yeah, mate, you're not wrong. I mean, considering, you know, the Stephen Taylor situation two weeks before the start of the season, uh, and the fact they had no imports until January and had to rely on a lot of academy players, I think, you know, not only you have to give... um, uh, Ufuk Tale, you know, uh, a lot of credit, but you also, I think, have to give Paul Temple and the academy staff a lot of credit too, don't you? You do, you do. Um, they're obviously doing a good job bringing those youngsters through, and, I mean, majority of them, are, I think, are obviously signed through for next season as well, so, I mean, it can only bode well for next season and, you know, hopefully beyond that as well, and, and obviously being back in Wellington, fingers crossed, next season, playing their home games, um, you know, hopefully that's an advantage for us with uh, the Aussie teams having to travel back over here all the time. Yeah, and something else that uh, I think is really good is that the Phoenix, how many, how many occasions as a Phoenix fan have you seen uh, the 
uh, team have to completely rebuild a squad. You know, maybe you have four or five players in the offseason. Now I think we've got 15 signed for next season. So they've actually got the base of a squad who will get to know each other. Exactly, and that's been the problem. You know, we've got we've got a good team. We've put it together, and then all of a sudden, it basically gets broken up, and we're starting again. And, and obviously, as you know, any time in sport when you're starting again, it does normally take time to get that rebuild going. Now, Scott, um, but they seem to have got it well this season. Yeah, Scott Wooten's staying, which is great news. David Ball's obviously going to stay around as well, but losing Gary Hooper, um, so they'll be looking for another striker. What about Gail Sandoval? He's been on loan, the Mexican. Would you keep him for next season, or would you look elsewhere? Part of me says yes, part of me says no. I mean, he has his, he has his flashes of brilliance, um, but obviously it depends whether you know whether he wants to come and live over in Wellington as well. Um, I think that's going to possibly be a bit of a factor there as well. But if he wants to, um, I think you know he's worth persisting with him and bringing him in permanently if we can. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get Ulysses Devere back at the Phoenix after the absolute dumpster fire that is the MacArthur FC. But uh, before we let you go, mate, um, as an Everton fan, regardless of well, you know, even if Frank Lampard keeps you up this season, um, which I think is more likely than not, is he the right man for the job? As an Everton fan? I think he, he's got to stay there. He, he's good with youth. I think the problem is that if we, if we got rid of Lampard, we'd be starting again. Um, we've already got major problems with um, FFP, obviously, over the last few years. And I think it's something like about 30-odd million pounds in terms of paying out managers over the last five or six years. Um, and, and you just can't keep sustaining that. And, that. and that's part of the reason why we've ended up in the situation that we're in. Um, so I think he, if he can keep us up, he deserves... He deserves to have a, a full pre-season and obviously a full season next season to see what he can actually do with the team. And, and when things have gone right in the, in the game, obviously against, yeah, against you guys and against Chelsea um, and against Leicester, it's, it's actually looked not too bad. But it's just been when we played with the likes of the game against Brentford uh, yesterday and, and obviously we should have put Watford away on, what was that, Monday morning? Cost me a, um, cost me a multi, you're not doing that, mate. Cost me a multi, that, oh, that, that it, result. It cost me two. Because uh, I thought guaranteed they were, they were 10 players out, I think, out of their team, or first 10 players out. So we should have done it comfortably and we would have been safe by now. Uh, Scott, just before we let you go, mate, uh, the Phoenix, we're doing the uh, Mount Rushmore of Phoenix players. Who, who, who are your four? Um, obviously Durante, definitely, in there. Eiffel in there. Uh, probably Krishna. Um, and... Oh, I want to say David Ball. Just I know, yeah. I know it's only recent, but just playing through the season, obviously with the the toe injury that he's had, and uh, he just kept on going and going uh, with painkiller after painkiller. So um, I think uh, just for that, he deserves to be chucked in there. Yeah, no, fair enough, Scott. Hey, thanks very much for your call, mate. Really good to t- talk to you. No worries. Thanks, Ricardo. Have a good day. Yeah, you too, mate. Scott's in the draw for that $50 Chemist Warehouse gift card. Bruce is on the line on 0800 150811. Keep your calls coming through. Bruce, have you got some thoughts on our Mount Rushmore today? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, as a previous uh, goalkeeper and a midfielder, uh, I'll, I'll lean towards that. Um, I, I, guess, I guess my top... It's probably Andrew Durante, 201 appearances and an absolute rock and a stalwart there. And, um, you know, he was an amazing leader. And uh, it's, a, it's a shame we, he left when he did. But, um, yeah, so he's, he's number one. I'll say, um, how about Roy Krishna, number two? 
Yep, Roy, uh, Roy was a great striker for us, wasn't he? Yeah, fantastic. Over 50 goals, I think he scored. Um, yeah, entertainment. Um, Glenn Moss, number three. Great keeper. Hundred and fifty. Great keeper. Great keeper. And he did, uh, well, he did two stunts. He was there for a couple of years. I think he went and to Gold he Coast, did another, didn't he? And then he came back again? That's right. Came back for three or four years. 213 to 216 or 17, I think. So, yeah, 150 appearances. Outstanding effort. And I'll say Tim Brown. How about that for a, for, for a hard, absolute fighter and a player who never gave up, never let them down. And uh, he held that midfield together a long time, I think. Yeah, he was a great captain too, wasn't he, Bruce? Absolutely. Absolutely. Over 100 appearances, and he scored a few goals as well. Yeah, no, so, good, um, good call, Bruce. I like it. It's not a bad top four. Luck. It's not my top four, but it's good not luck. a bad top four, mate. Right. And like I said, there's no right or wrong answer here for the Mount Rushmore. It's all opinion. So keep yours coming through. Double eight, double three is the Temper Bedpost text machine as well. Uh, Chris has just sent one through saying Durante, Krishna, Greenacre, and Eiffel. Very forward facing that one, Chris. Keep those coming through. Double eight, double three here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Side by side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we're eight away from ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. You make sure you tune into SENZ every Sunday from 11 till midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts in Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. And uh, Logan, I believe you've got some news around the Māori All Blacks and who they might be playing this season. Yeah, exciting news, Ricardo. This came through uh, our desk uh, shortly before we went to air, actually. The Māori All Blacks, they're going to be playing Ireland in uh, two midweek matches in Hamilton and Wellington this July, uh, NZR, New Zealand Rugby, have announced today. First match will be at FMG Stadium on Wednesday, the 29th of June. That's a 7.05pm kickoff. The second one being at Sky Stadium in Wellington on Tuesday, the 12th of July, 7.05pm. Of course, both of those matches will be live on Sky Island uh, with these matches are going to bring an expanded squad to cater for it, uh, which will be in addition to their three-test series against the All Blacks. Now, a bit of history here, Ricardo. The Māori All Blacks have played Ireland on two previous occasions, the most famous being the New Zealand Natives' 13-4 win at Lansdowne Road in Dublin in 1888. 1888. It goes back a long way. The only other match between the two sides was in 2010. Uh, at Rotorua International Stadium where the Māori All Blacks won 31-28. Very close one there. So, of course, uh, uh, Māori All Blacks head coach Clayton McMillan is very much looking forward to welcoming the Ireland uh, team and taking them on. Yeah, it's, it's going to be good. It's, uh, I like having midweek matches and tours. I think it's great. It keeps the momentum up. And, uh, yeah, more of that. Well done, New Zealand Rugby. I think that's fantastic, especially with the news that new, there's going to be a New Zealand A program going to South Africa. So it's going to be interesting to see who gets the pick of the players, who gets to, you know, whether it's uh, Clayton McMillan or whoever's going to run the New Zealand A setup. So uh, interested on that. Uh, it is uh, six away from ten here on SCNZ. Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
Yeah, a couple of minutes away from 10 o'clock. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat for him this week. Although I'm away tomorrow, so Stephen McIver will be here for you. Hey, Clayton Lewis is coming up. He's just been named in the all-white squad uh, for the three games that we've got coming up in the next window. Uh, those are games against Peru, a friendly. There's another behind-closed-doors game, I believe, against Iran as well. And then uh, that qualifier against the Costa Rican. So we'll talk to Clayton shortly. We are today doing the Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix. Uh, so that your top four Wellington Phoenix players that should be have their faces carved into the side of Mount Victoria. Liam's texted in suggesting Smeltz, Eiffel, Durante and Ben Sigmund. I like it. Uh, that is uh, oh, that's pretty much bang on mine actually uh, Liam, so well done there. Uh, Paddy has said uh, Durante Le- um, Musket, Manny Musket, what a player he was. Uh, Vinny Lear, uh, I see you like a little bit of filth. I like a little bit of filth, Paddy. They certainly weren't uh, shy of putting that around. And Eiffel as well for Paddy. Uh, we also have had uh, Shane Smeltz, Leo Burdos, Mark Paston, and Tim Brown come in from Chris. And uh, we'll get to a few more of those in the next hour. Keep them coming through. The Temper Bedpost text machine is double eight double three double eight double three. Keep those texts coming through. Clayton Lewis after the latest in news and sport. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, of course, but no Ian Smith. Uh, Jason has texted through asking, what's happened to Smithy? Is he okay? Smithy is perfectly fine. Smithy is on holiday. Uh, Smithy's just taken a week, Jason, so thanks for your concern. But Smithy is great. He will be back for you from next Monday. And uh, we're, of course, doing the Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players as well. And keep your texts coming through on double eight double three for that. My uh, my next Mount Rushmore has to be Durante, Krishna, Eiffel and Kakache. Honourable mentions to Tim Brown, Shane Smeltz and Glenn Moss. As for uh, the ultimate journeyman, Vinnie Lear. Cheers, Heath. Thanks very much for your text, Heath. Um, keep them coming through. Your Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players, Double eight, double three is the Temper Bed Post text machine. Coming up shortly, uh, we are going to be joined by Clayton Lewis, who's just been named in the All White squad. They have three games coming up, uh, culminating in that playoff against Costa Rica to get to the next World Cup. It's a 26-man squad, and uh, this is the squad for you. Costa Barbarousis, Joe Bell, Michael Boxall, Liberato Kakache, Joey Champness, Francis DeVries, Matthew Garbett, Matthew Goulds, Alex Grieve, Dane Ingham, Elijah Just, Nico Kerwin, Clayton Lewis, Stefan Marinovich, Callum McCowart, Tim Payne, Nando Pianaka, Logan Rogerson, Marco Rojas, Winston Reed, Ollie Sale, Tommy Smith, Marco Staminich, Bill Tuiloma, Ben Wayne and Chris Wood, and that is the team that we have. Uh, that that is the team that is going to be uh, taking on Peru at the Espanol Stadium in Barcelona uh, early next month, and uh, they'll also play a. That's on the fifth of June, uh, five thirty local time, which in the afternoon, which probably be about Monday morning around uh, sort of three thirty, I think, if my if my international clock is right. Uh, New Zealand is another international friendly. It's going to be behind closed doors on June the 9th, I believe. Iran is the team they are talking to. Whether or not that will stay the same, I don't know. And then, of course, 
in Doha on Tuesday the 14th of June 9pm local time which would be great time for us on a Wednesday morning here in New Zealand it is the World Cup qualifier for uh, Qatar 2022 the intercontinental playoff with Costa Rica now joining us to talk about that and being involved in the squad is All White and Phoenix player Clayton Lewis g'day Clayton how are you? Yeah, not too bad yourself. Yeah, good things, mate, and congratulations on uh, making the squad. Uh, how how amped were you when Danny gave you the call? Yeah, very, very happy. I think, you know, just come off the back of the Phoenix season, a little bit disappointing to lose on uh, on Saturday, but then to receive this news um, makes everything... Uh, Pretty happy now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess there would have been a, a moment for you uh, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago as well, whether and where you you might have been a bit of a question mark on whether or not you'd be fit enough to take part because obviously you had that ankle injury. How was the ankle? Yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, I think at first um, everyone feared that it would be ten to twelve weeks, which would, which would definitely put me out um, for for this playoff game. But you know. MRI came back and there was a push that it could be six to eight weeks. So, um, you know, I, I made the decision to come home and work with uh, Roland, the New Zealand physio, and uh, Coach Sims, which is the strength and conditioning coach um, with the All Whites. And, yeah, I think definitely coming back was probably the best decision I had to put myself into contention. And, yeah, I'm just so happy that I'm back ready. Yeah, were you, were you 100% when you came back? Um, I, th- I think I was... I was meant to be only playing 20 minutes and against uh, Melbourne City, um, but to get through 45 um, was a good kind of box ticker. Um, and then, you know, to, to play 90 minutes is a big kind of relief in my head um, that I can, eat, I, can, I can get through the, the 90 minutes. So, yeah, i just got to keep the fitness up and, you know, I'll definitely be ready. And it's a it's a very good squad that Danny has named. I mean, outside of Sarpreet and Ryan Thomas, it's about as strong as we could go. Um, how do you see your role in the All White setup versus your role in the Phoenix? Yeah, oh, to be fair, pretty similar. Um, you know, at the at the Phoenix now, I'm trying to you know be be you know as much of a leader as I can be, and I think you know in the position that I'm playing now, um, I think I definitely you know need to step step that up so I think um, I'm going to do my best to try you know lead the boys whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch I think um, you know I'm at that stage where I need to I need to continue you know growing as a player and I think uh, definitely talking on and off the field is uh, is a big thing for me to you know keep progressing. Of course, you got you're working with guys at all white level like Danny, Rory Fallon, uh, Darren Baisley as well. Um, how much does that differ for you in terms of messages you get or or experience that you're 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 open to versus what you get you know with with Ufuk and the crew at the, at the Phoenix? Yeah, um, I obviously speak to um, Danny and Bays a lot. Um, you know, I've worked with Bays for many years now throughout the age group sides as well. Um, but you know that you know all, all of them are very encouraging and and supportive of what you know I'm trying to do as a as a footballer, and I think. Um, you know that that thing you know shows on the pitch. I'm trying to get you know better each day, and you know hopefully that's starting to show. 
Well, I think it is definitely, sh- you know, starting to show, mate. I mean, you, you've, you've come on in leaps and bounds um, over your career as I've watched you um, develop. You know, I've, uh, I, it's, it's been really good to watch how you have progressed. I mean, you were nominally a 10 um, who could play a bit as a, as a wide forward as well, but now you're finding yourself, uh, you know, playing a little deeper. Um, I think I, I once described you as the uh, the Wellington Perlow. Um, I don't know if you still think that that, that fits, but um, how have you changed your game and what have you been your work on? Yeah, I think uh, defensively, I think it's changed uh, a lot. I think um, you know going over to the UK, it didn't quite work out, but I was playing a little bit deeper then, um, and I think that's definitely helped my game. Um, being over there and learning the defensive side, um, and then yeah, I came back as a ten, and yeah, Uffie decided um, you know something needed to change last year in the, in the defensive roles, and you know he chucked me in there, and yeah, I think he quite liked me then. I think at the moment I get the ball a lot more. Um, I can kind of show, you know, my passing abilities. So I'm, I'm enjoying it there, and it's a it's a different role that you know I'm starting to learn. So it's good to have you know backup positions as well. So no, I'm a, I'm enjoying this kind of six role at the moment. Yeah, and is that six role where Danny sees you for the All Whites as well? I think so, but I I I also think he he sees me as one of the one of the eights or, or inside fours as well. So it's it's good that I'm you know a, able to be. Um, you know, a, a fit for any of those positions. Um, but wherever D- Danny sees uh, the best position for me, I'm, I'm happy to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that New Zealand football in the past maybe hasn't, uh, just as a general, you know, not just talking about uh, the All Whites, but in general in, in New Zealand football is that your, your midfield stoppers have just been hatchet men and they don't really have much on the ball. But, I mean, if those guys are winning the ball, they need to be able to pass the ball as well, and that's something that we've definitely lacked in the past. So um, it's been a bit of an evolution, do you think, in the New Zealand game? Yeah, I think, and and that's credit to you know Danny and the way that we want to set up and play. I think you know in the past there's been a lot of you know long balls and stuff, but mm. I think as well that that hasn't really helped the midfielders that much. You know, when you when you go long, the midfielders don't really get on the ball um, a bit too much. But I can I, I can guarantee that the the midfielders back in the day definitely wish they were uh, you know playing with us now. Yeah, yeah, I think so, mate. I think so. How much do I, I know you're a Liverpool fan, and as much as that hurts me, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, <laughs> how much do you look at someone like Jordan Henderson and the way he's developed his game? I mean, he's a guy with a very good passing range, but now plays a lot deeper for Liverpool than maybe he used to. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he's come in leaps and bounds over the years. I think, uh, you know, when he took up the captaincy, I think it's, it was a different role for him, and I think he had to, you know, lead. Um, a lot differently than he probably, you know, would have thought. And I think he he definitely, um, you know, when when he comes on, he always changes the game as well. I think his, his pressing is unbelievable. And I think, um, you know, when he's on the pitch, everyone kind of lifts their their own game. And I I hope that you know I, I can do that as, well of some sort anyway. Yeah, uh, in terms of the squad that was being named, of course there were two big names left out. Ryan Thomas, we know he's been struggling with uh, a knee injury for a long time, which is really unfortunate for him because we'd love to see him back in an all-whites jersey. But a guy that has been involved a lot more recently is Sarpreet Singh. Um, how big a miss do you think he will be for the all-whites? Yeah, massive. Um, I think uh, you know Sarpreet's obviously proven that you know he can play at the, the highest of levels. Um, but if you look across the last, you know, window of the qualifying campaign, um, you know, we 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 managed to dominate, you know, that that tournament um, without those players. So I think, you know, the squad we've got and the, the depth we've got in New Zealand now, I think uh, 
we definitely have the right squad to you know, to get the job done against Costa Rica. Yeah, mate, I'm looking forward to that. It's, it's going to be great. Um, how much, um, is, how stoked are you to be going and playing somewhere like Espanyol Stadium against Peru to start with? Yeah, it's going to be massive. Um, you know, not many, you, do, you don't get many opportunities like this. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to kind of being back in camp again and, you know, being around the boys that I haven't seen uh, since that qualifying campaign. Yeah, no, it's going to be good, mate, and I wish you all the best of luck, the team the best of luck as well, for those three games, particularly the last of the three, the one that really matters. Uh, before we let you go, Clayton, we have been doing today the Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players. So the four uh, faces that you would you chisel into the side of Mount Victoria uh, for the greatest players ever to play for the, the Wellington Phoenix. Uh, have, have you got four for us? Have you have you got a Mount Rushmore? Um, Jura, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think Paul, Paul Eiffel will be another one. Yep. Um, someone I've always looked up to in New Zealand football, Tim Brown. I think he was a massive kind of cog to the Phoenix. Um, you know when they first started, um, and I think even even now, I think uh, the way Ollie Sales um, been playing recently, I think uh, he he does he deserves to be up there. Yeah, fantastic, mate. That's a, that's that's a great four. Really appreciate it, Clayton. Go well, buddy. Uh, best of luck, uh, and uh, fingers crossed. Next time I talk to you, we're talking about what to expect for Qatar. Perfect, sounds good. Go well, mate. Clayton Lewis there with us from the All Whites. He is part of that squad. Once again, those games are coming up uh, next month, and uh, New Zealand have three games coming up. They play Peru in international friendly in Barcelona at the Espanyol Stadium. Uh, that'll be Monday morning New Zealand time, June the 6th, uh, which I think is Queen's birthday weekend, if I'm not mistaken. And then they play another behind-closed-doors friendly, which will probably be Friday morning New Zealand time, I believe, against Iran, and then... The big dance, as they say, which will be Wednesday the 15th of June, New Zealand time. New Zealand play Costa Rica, that FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 Intercontinental Playoff. When we come back, it is the panel. Guy Havelt and Hamish Bidwell will join us. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 20 past 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for him and it is time for the panel and uh, welcome to the panel, uh, Hamish Bidwell. G'day Hamish, how are you mate? Yeah, fantastic, how are you mate? Yeah, good, thank you. And also Guy Havelt, g'day Guy. Yeah, morning fellas, good to be on again. Good to have you on mate, good to have you on. What do you make of uh, New Zealand's newest uh, big export earner, uh, of course, which is coaches? We're sending Baz to England, Daniel Vittori to Australia, <laughs> uh, and news yesterday that David Kip to go and coach the Pumas alongside Michael Checker. Yeah, uh, I only just heard about this, I've got to be honest, uh, this morning, I don't know when it actually came out. Uh, look, uh, this is this is the international uh, sporting arena these days, isn't it? It doesn't matter really where you come from. Uh, you can go and coach whoever, and, and obviously um, New Zealand has some pretty good coaches, whether it's in rugby or, or rugby league. Um, and obviously Michael Checker, um, I believe, might have worked with David Kidwell before, and so seemingly thinks he's pretty good. Look, look everyone will probably... Um, think back to the days of when David Kidwell was the Kiwis coach and, and things didn't go so well for him. But I think he's a pretty good assistant coach. He's been under some very good head coaches over his time. He's had some very good results with the Storm and also uh, most recently the Parramatta Eels. So in terms of his assistant coaching credentials, 
I, I think pretty good. Uh, the game in terms of rugby union to rugby league, I suspect in terms of what he would be doing would be fairly similar to what he's learned in league. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe not a bad call there from Michael Checker. Hamish, did you see this one coming, mate? And and what do you think it uh, it will mean for David Kidwell? Oh, look, David Kidwell is a borderline halfway, and I, I say that with all due respect. Like I I dealt with him quite a lot during the Kiwis reign, and he was absolutely hopeless. Um, had no idea what he was doing. It's funny. Um, it was a tie with an Argentina actually covering the All Blacks, but. Um, there was a kerfuffle with Tomalolo and Tokaho, um, Pussy Tua, all those guys were in line with Tonga rather than the Kiwis. And I wrote the scathing column of what an idiot Kidwell was and the shambles he's in rugby league was. And anyway, the Kiwis rocked up to Wellington a couple of weeks later and the immediate dribbler said to me, oh, Kitty wants to see you. And uh, I wandered off and he stood there, got right in my face, <coughs> excuse me, like an inch or two away, stared at me and I just said to him, is that it? Are you finished now? And he said, yep, and I wandered off. And after the rest of the tournament, he was like, hey, Hamish, great question, Hamish. Like, that miserable 4-2 loss to Fiji, and he came and he patted me on the back as he walked up to the table, you know what I mean? Like, to, to face the music. That was the most shameful episode, one of the more shameful episodes in New Zealand sport. Um, only made sensation, even made better by Sean Johnson, who, to his credit, came out to talk to us after the 4-2 loss to Fiji and gave us that wonderful line, you've got what you wanted, you's. I don't know use, but anyway, I, was, I could have kissed him at that moment. So I thought he was an absolute twit. And uh, we gave him a kicking, gave Kidwell a kicking, and I just don't think Kidwell doing anything in, in rugby. Um, it's good work if he can get it, but I, I don't rate the guy at all, I'm afraid. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that, because he and Checker are both quite volatile characters. Uh, what about uh, the news that Warren Gatlin's reportedly going to move to uh, the US and take over US rugby ahead of their, their World Cup in, was it 2020? Whenever it is, might be thirty-one, bro. That, that'll be it. I was going to say twenty-seven. I was like, no, that's Australia. <laughs> yeah. uh, it means nothing. Uh, there's no rugby culture there. There's no player pool. I can get Uncle Tom Cobbley to come and coach, and it won't make any difference. Do you know what I mean? And that, and you can see that guys get consultancy roles all the time. I mean, how's the Steve Hansen full Gould experiment going at Canterbury Bankstown? You know what I mean? Well, you can bring in uh, the heavy hitters, but if you don't have the cattle, you ain't going anywhere. And the USA don't have the cattle, and that's that. What do you think, Guy? Do you think a guy like Gatlin can add anything to, to US rugby at the moment? And, and if so, what? Uh, I think Hamish has got a point. If you don't have the players, then then you're not going to really make an imprint on world rugby, are you? Look, what they've probably got is money, because it's the US. They've probably got decent money from, from big sponsors, that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and yeah, he might be able to make an impact in some regard in terms of being able to improve... Uh, you know, lower level players in the grand scheme of things, but are they going to make an impact in terms of upsetting, you know, uh, for want of a better word, the heavyweights of world rugby? I doubt it, and I don't think so. Um, Yeah, but but I suspect this is something that we'll probably see more of because uh, those bigger countries do have more funding at their power, and so they can kind of reel in whatever coaches they want. Yeah, uh, it'd be, uh, yeah, I mean, if he goes, I don't know how much velocity it is to the Chiefs either, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, gentlemen, it is International Day Against LGBTQIA plus discrimination. Um, outside them needing to come up with a, a catchier handle than that, um, when do you think we as a country will feel comfortable enough to have an all-black come out as openly gay? I, I say this after um, Lyndon Bray is, ha, has talked about this, who's, uh, of course, the former referee and, and, and now at Tasman Guy? 
Well, I, I would like to think most of the country would be comfortable with it in this day and age. I don't know if there are any gay players in the All Blacks. Um, I, I, who knows? Um, but I would like to think that the majority of people in this day and age um, who understand society, um, you know, I, I think probably most of us have um, an LGBTQ, whatever it might be, friend or something like that, or, or an acquaintance or whatever, uh, and so I'd like to think, realistically, there would probably be a, a portion of society and, and still, um, you know, you know, uh, probably a third of society that would still feel uncomfortable about it. And that makes me incredibly sad, to be honest. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong in that regard. And I hope if it does happen at some stage, whenever it might be, that, we're, that we as a society can accept it. Um, you, you never know in this day and age. You just have to look at social media and the way that, that people just shoot from the hip and say whatever they want and some of it is so incredibly derogatory that it's it's nothing short of disgusting frankly so i'm sure there would be some elements of it but i'd like to think the majority of society would uh would not even bet an eyelid to it and i know it would make news but it shouldn't make news if it does happen if you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean that's that's the ideal isn't it we get to a, a point where uh it's not a big thing it's not a talking point but unfortunately we're not there yet uh hamish we have seen uh just uh, today jake daniels who plays in the second tier of english football in the championship at blackpool come out as openly go i think he's the first current footballer i can remember uh doing so since josh cavallo um at adelaide did it last year um, where are you on this? Because I, I, I kind of think if a bloke can do it in English football, which is probably the biggest cesspit of fan abuse, then then they can kind of do it anywhere. Yeah, I'm the 50-50 on it. So I'll give you an example. I heard uh, Daniels on the BBC this morning, and he was talking about the relief. Like, he hadn't even come out to his family. Like, he told his sister and his mum, and then went out the next game and scored four goals. And he said that was indicative of the relief of being able to be open and, and honest for the first time in his life and, and, and how that freed him and, and, and enabled him to play without fear, I guess, which is what all athletes want to do ultimately. Um, I'm a columnist now. Like, when I was in day-to-day news, you sort of were around athletes. and I don't, I don't care about athletes at all. I don't want to know their story. Like, when you're removed, it's just you, you judge them on how they go on the field. Occasionally, if they say something daft, you've probably got to weigh in on it. But... I don't want to know anything about their private life. Good husband, bad husband, good bloke, poor bloke. You know what I mean? It just it makes no difference to me. I don't understand. I don't, like, I, mean, I don't have a curiosity to know. I'll put it that way. Like if, if, if someone wants to tell me, like with Lyndon Bray, fair income, he, he, I knew Lyndon Bray was gay when he was a referee, but I, I don't think it was public knowledge. He didn't make an announcement about it, but it didn't make any difference to my life. I don't know if it made any difference to Lyndon's life. I see he's urging people to perhaps come out. Well, that's cool, but I don't remember him coming out at the time. I mean, ultimately it's for people in their own circumstance to decide how they feel and what they want to reveal about themselves. But as a, as a bystander, as a, as a watcher, I, I, it doesn't matter to me what people are like in their actual life. I just try and judge them on what happens on the paddock. Yeah, and which is great. And I think it's the attitude everybody should have. But Hamish, do you think New Zealand's ready to have an openly gay All Black? What do you think? I can't judge anymore. Do you know what I mean? I feel um, dismayed, uh, confused, sometimes brokenhearted by where society's going. We're such an angry and tolerant lot. So, of course, there'll be people who, you know, want someone burned at the stake and people heads to rot. I mean, we're just so reactionary and absurd about everything. I just... I just, where's the kindness gone, the compassion? Like, I'm really blunt, and I've given, you know, I've been pretty forthright in my views today, but in terms of someone as an actual person, 
I just want them to be happy and do their own thing. You're offering, you want me to come on here and offer an opinion, but so I, I am trying to offer one on various things. But in terms of someone's private life, I just, I just, I don't care, and I, I, I don't think other people should care, but I know that they will because we're just such an angry, intolerant society. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's covered it pretty well, Hamish. We'll get uh, on to more things with the panel after the latest in news and sport with Araha, which is right now. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 28 away from 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, and it is the panel with Guy Havelt and Hamish Bidwell. Uh, gentlemen, the cycling and high-performance review has come out. Uh, Dana Johansson was on with us earlier today talking about it. She uh, wrote a piece for stuff.co.nz earlier today that was reasonably scathing, and you know, after having read that, you have to think. Uh, three and a half years ago, Mike Heron gave them a report that didn't seem to make any difference, Guy. Uh, so what's next here, and how's this time going to be any different? Well, that's that's the the million-dollar question, isn't it? Is it going to be any different? And I think, uh, well, I was there, Abby Wilson, who, who worked here at One News and, and broke the story in 2018 and has been covering it ever since, put it to Mike Heron, who uh, wrote both these reports, uh, and she said, uh, what's to say we won't be sitting here for a third time in a, in a few years' time? And it was a very telling response from Mike Heron. He he took a long pause, he ummed, and he took a deep breath, and he said, well, I can't promise you that we won't, but hopefully we're not. Uh, what needs to change is the athletes need to start having some sort of a voice. Uh, and And I know... That's sometimes difficult because sometimes uh, athlete power becomes a little bit too much in some regards, but I think in cases like this, uh, there needs to be some say for the athletes in terms of where they feel most comfortable, how, what kind of environment they feel most comfortable. They need more. If they're going to live in Cambridge, I think it's becoming abundantly clear that what they are earning, what they are getting paid is just not quite enough. Well, it's nowhere near enough. Um, Cambridge is fast becoming a, a very expensive place to live in uh, and that's where the likes of cycling, rowing um, and, and recently as well triathlon have, have had their, their centralised programs. Well, if they want to continue doing that, they need to help these athletes out. Otherwise, they're going to have to move their focus some in some part away from sport and get another job so that they can actually live a comfortable life. Look, I've got to be honest, I, I was at that, at that presser yesterday and I was filled with pretty much no confidence from either Phil Holden, the chair of, of Cycling New Zealand, former CEO at New Zealand Rugby League, or Raylene Castle. I thought they both spoke in complete and utter corporate speak. I thought it was it gave no real confidence that anything major is going to change. And I know it's only very early in this process, and, and hopefully in years to come something will change. But sitting there yesterday, uh, nothing gave me massive confidence that, that there will be huge change in this. I hope we never ever see something again that's happened to the like of, likes of Liv Podmore. I hope no athlete ever feels that they have to go that route to to get uh, to, to, to get out of the situation that they're in. Um, and there is now enormous pressure on those two names that I just mentioned and Phil Holden uh, and Raylene Castle to make sure that that never happens again. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I hope in years to come that we can sit here and say that they have been successful in that, but sitting there at that press conference yesterday, it did not fill me with a lot of confidence. 
No, and that, that was pretty much uh, what I got from from Dana as well uh, earlier today when we had her on the show, Guy. Um, I, I, big question for me, Hamish, is th- how non-committal Raylene Castle was about changes. Now, given that Raylene Castle did a reasonably good job at Netball New Zealand but then failed at the Canterbury Bulldogs and failed at Australian rugby, is she the right person to be leading this right now, particularly after the comments uh, yesterday? It's the most useless, worthless body in the world, high performance sport New Zealand or sport NZ. Like, it's just a waste of time. Like, it's just, you know, you see their press releases come out, they tell you, oh, we're going to do this, or we're bound to do that, or we're pumping money into this, and this will change outcomes for X and Y and Z. It never does a bloody thing. Like, it's just, it's, it's the job you take when there's no other real job that you can get. Uh, most of the time, there's, there's no checks and balances, and, and, and uh, any old half can do it. and yeah, I just, I have no regard to them. I don't have any interest in it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've written about this stuff a lot because mm. sadly this happens all the time. We have men, and it will always happen while you have, unfortunately, men in positions of power over women because the men routinely abuse that position of power. Um, one of the things I have written in the past is that it's up to parents. We put our, whether they're 12, 22 or 32, we put our children in the care of organisations and coaches and we assume that those coaches and the organisations have our children's best interests at heart and they don't and they never will they just don't care they're just a number they're just someone to be exploited abused uh, belittled bullied and it's up to us because no one's going to look after our children for us to be their advocates to demand more to take uh, close attention to how they're being treated to the conditions they're living in and the training and to help they're being spoken to because the athlete themselves is powerless um, especially in these um, sports such as cycling where you rely upon funding and you results to be able to make a living or to be in teams. And if you don't achieve thresholds, you, you're nowhere. You're either in or you're out. There's no in-between. There's no lower tiers of professionalism. You're either uh, an Olympic athlete for New Zealand in these sports or you're no one. And that means that they can be treated poorly. They, they, this whole idea where you break an athlete down to build them up is utterly disgusting. And it's up to us as parents, as I say, to ensure that these people look after our children because I have absolutely zero confidence and the history backs it up that the powers that be will do anything. So where does change have to come from then? Is it governmental? Is that where it has to, do they have to burn the whole uh, thing down and start again? We don't need, we don't need organisations, man. Like, we just waste all this money on reports. That the, the time, you know, they, they, they take heat out of things and they, they cost, they're just, they're expensive waste of time. I know how to treat a good a, a person well. I, I reckon I could look after an athlete in my sleep, and yet the people that are paid to do it professionally seem to have no idea, and they have to review to remind them of what it's like to treat a person with some kindness and some, some compassion to actually care for them. Uh, the less infrastructure, the better. I, I just These bodies are so um, impotent but, and, and, and so removed from reality. Like, we... We have to, as I say, be hands-on and looking after athletes ourselves because we can't rely on, on organisations. We don't need more, more infrastructure. We don't need more tiers of management. We don't need more reports. Like, what do they need to report into? Don't they realise that they're treating people like scum? Like, that's, that they're abusing them? Surely they're normal human beings beside their titles. They must know that what they, how they behave is unacceptable. And yet... We, we, we just say, oh, well, you've, you've done your best. We've to learn. We've to improve. 
can't have any confidence in these people. Mm, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. So, Hamish, well said. Well said. Hey, before we go, Guy, I know uh, you love your golf, and let, let's finish on golf. Let's finish on Ryan Fox. Uh, he's a guy who is on some a great track of form at the moment. He just can't seem to quite close it out to win a title, but uh, where do you see Ryan Fox at the moment uh, ahead of uh, the Open? Yeah, he's, he's on a bit of a tear at the moment. Um, would probably like to, as you say, have converted four of his last five tournaments that have finished in top tens into into maybe one more win. He has had one win amongst that. He's playing very well. Uh, he goes to Southern Hills, which is a, a I think they made it quite a long course. There are only two par fives on the course, both measuring over 630 yards and then very, very long par fours as well. That should suit him if he can, if he can continue driving it straight. Um, he, he didn't play all that well in the final round of the latest European Tour event. But, yeah, he goes there pretty confident. Look, I'm not saying he's going to go and win this tournament, but if he can have another top 10, top 20 finish, I think that would be a, a very impressive result for Ryan Fox. What he needs to do is somehow push himself into that top 50 in the world and then these major championships will just happen for him. He won't need to um, try and, well, not qualify for them, but he won't need to, to, to keep performing week in, week out, that sort of thing. Uh, top 50 will just get your automatic entry. So if he can consistently... Um, keep playing well, maybe get another win or two here or there, uh, then that top few will become a reality and, and, and life for Ryan Pops uh, will become even better. But as I say, playing very well at the moment. I have hopes that he can play well again this week. Um, who will it suit? I, I, this is going to sound boring, but man, Scotty Scheffler uh, seems to me the guy to beat. Uh, once again, obviously the Masters champion, uh, world number one, there has been playing phenomenal golf this year. Uh, I think he's the guy to beat, and maybe even Jordan Spieth, who's in some, some pretty good form as well. But uh, as you can probably hear in my voice, Ricardo, I'm pretty excited. Another major championship. I love it. Just a little bit, just a little bit. There'll be, there'll be zero sleep for Guy Havelt in a couple of weeks' time. I can tell you that much for free. <laughs> hey, Guy, go well, mate. Thanks very much for being part of the panel today. Pleasure. Anytime, mate. And thank you as well. Hamish Bid will love your passion, mate. You speak a lot of sense, uh, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It is 18 away from 11 here on SENZ. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 14 away from 11 here on SENZ. No Smithy this week. Ricardo Ball in for, till midday for you today. Uh, Stephen McIver in tomorrow. Uh, text from Brett. Uh, love your passion, Hamish. Thank you for that, mate. And Vaughan, totally agree with Hamish that we're an angry society. Um, but ironic words from someone who spoke so negatively. Like MJ said, Michael Jordan? I'm looking at the man. Oh no, Michael Jackson. Looking at the man in the mirror. Yeah, thanks, Fawny. Well, you know, I get what you're saying there, but I don't think uh, Hamish is to blame for a negative society. I think he just says says what he sees, and he is angry at it uh, to a to, to a degree. But yeah, no, he uh, always good thoughts from Hamish Bidwell here on SENZ. Of course, uh, the. Mornings brought to you by Polaris. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Keep your texts coming in on the Temper Bedpost text machine as well. Double eight, double three. Your Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players. Who is it? Uh, we just heard uh, had Clayton Lewis, a Phoenix player himself, of course, and a member of the All Whites uh, team that is going to be playing uh, against Qatar. Uh, for a spot in the, sorry, against Costa Rica in Qatar for a spot in the World Cup. He went with Andrew Durante, Paul Eiffel, Tim Brown, and Ollie Sale. So keen to get yours, Double eight, double three. the temper bedpost text machine. Now, uh, there's a 
story the next generation of great tennis players might might be on the verge of of creating a, a, a wave, Logan. You've got a story for us. Well, yes, there is another Djokovic. Novak Djokovic, his seven-year-old son, Stefan, has won his first tournament on the same day uh, that uh, Novak lifted his first crown in more than six months at the Italian Open, and he described their success as a sunshine double. How, how cute is that? Uh, the journey started successfully. My son won a tournament today, sunshine double, he said, added that his son's victory at the small club tournament would stick in his memory. Uh, he's also said, Djokovic, he would fully support his son uh, if he decided to pursue a career in tennis, and he went on to say he's only seven, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so he shouldn't feel any pressure or expectations yet, though he's going though he's going to because he's part, it's part of his family and he's going to attract a lot of attention if he's playing tennis, particularly in our country. So seven, well, give it another 10 years, maybe could be a teenage sensation there. Yeah, one to keep an eye on. Actually, uh, winning Rome uh, usually sets you up because that's a clay court tournament. It sets you up well for the French Open, which of course gets underway uh, later on. Uh, not too, I think it's the end of this month, isn't it? And uh, I see Novak Djokovic is the favourite to win that in the men's side at $2.62. Carlos Alcaraz, who uh, some are saying is the next Rafa Nadal, is paying at two eighty seven, and Rafa Nadal himself, the current Rafa Nadal, not the next one, is paying three dollars sixty. So, there you go. Actually, we're going to talk some more um, uh, TAB with Paul Mawati uh, coming up shortly. Logan, sorry, you had something? Yeah, I, I love the French Open. It's probably one of the ones I look forward to the most. And when you come to uh, tennis majors. Uh, though one thing that French fans won't be looking forward to is the fact that Gael Monfils will not partake. He's gone under the knife uh, to fix a problem with his right heel. Of course, you know that's a name very familiar for with the uh, you know the New Zealand Open and stuff. Very popular player down in this part of the world. Unfortunately, will not be there at Paris. Monfils is. If you use the term rocks and diamonds, he is the rocks and diamonds player. He can play in the same tournament. He can play a game and look like an absolute world beater, like every shot goes in, and the next game looks like he doesn't know which end of a racket to hold. He's one of those players. Um, so, mm, yeah, I don't think he's ever – well, he's never won the French Open. I don't think he's ever won a major Monfils, but he's, he's, he's gone on streaks. So, yeah, one to keep an eye on as well. Uh, we're going to have a Love Racing update and a TAB update shortly here on SCNZ. What is getting me excited at the moment? Wow. Other, the other than Kempi and Kempi for mornings. Yeah, yeah. Izzy and Kempi for mornings. So the running tally is 2-1 to Izzy, and it's kind of like golf, where you don't want to have a high score, and that's for um, who says Baz and Izzy for breakfast by mistake. So, <laughs> it's a hard um, habit to break. Current, Oh, man. The, the funny thing is, no one did it yesterday. It was like yesterday we were all right, but today, yeah, Izzy 2, I'm on 1. So we're trying to... Kempi hasn't done it yet, probably because Kempi's been thinking it's Kempi and uh, Izzy for breakfast for... Izzy and Kempi for breakfast for, like, months and months on end. So he's already readjusted. No, I'm, I'm thinking about what's going to happen this weekend, which is some nice racing at Tarapa and at Trentham. And, of course, across the ditch in... Queensland. Um, we have some feature races coming up. Cambridge started represented with their colours over there uh, really, really well. I've got Pinarello, who's still in the... I'm, I'm hearing he's still a chance for the Queensland Derby, but also this weekend, um, sort of state, or is it next weekend, sort of state will go around and, and try and become a stallion, you know? There's a couple of group ones here that sort of state gets a proper 
proper crack at, and with any luck, um, he can really add to his celly and kind of credentials. And look, I think a Group One, some Group One performance on his uh, CV would go wonders for the New Zealand breeding industry. So we're rooting for Sword of State to become a stallion of the future. Rooting for all of the Kiwis over there, and we'll see a bunch of them popping up in the fields. Noms are out today. We're interested to see who is in for the Trentham races. I hear it's been wet down there, so it might be a heavy track. And especially with the steeplechase and the jumps races going on down there. So we're on weather watch this week, Rick Dog, but plenty of thoroughbred action this week to keep us interested. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff, Louis. Thanks for coming on, mate. Love racing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews, and more. Uh, time to catch up now with Paul Mawadi from the TAB. G'day, Paulie. G'day, Ricardo. Now, mate, uh, there was a big game, of course, of basketball. There's a couple of big games of basketball in the NBA yesterday. I, I did tip out the Mavs before I left yesterday. I did not think it was going to be uh, the absolute avalanche that it was, though. Oh, they were very, very impressive. Um, absolutely uh, put one on the Suns uh, in Phoenix. So uh, they thoroughly deserve their place in the Western Conference Finals up against the Golden State Warriors. A game one odds already out. Dollar forty four the Golden State Warriors to win game one. Dallas Mavericks are at two dollars and seventy cents. On the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat host the Boston Celtics in game one tomorrow. The Heat a dollar seventy seven. The Celtics two dollars. Um, money so far. There's money on the Mavericks head to head at two seventy and also on the Mavericks plus Five points in the point start at a dollar ninety-two uh, in the uh, Eastern Conference. Uh, fairly even spread on both teams, both the Heat and the Celtics, attracting some bit of support from fans. Yes, yeah, sweet mate. Now, uh, just before we go, because we're running out of time quickly, uh, what's big for you guys today? Well, it's not actually today, but the US PGA Championship uh, is on this weekend at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we've got a Enhanced golf bonus back promotion on the outright winner market. I'll just give you, let you know, the best back in the outright winner market, the top five. Scotty Scheffler at $13, Ryan Fox at 276 Jordan Spieth at 17 John Rahm at 13 and Rory McIlroy at 17 They're the best. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Uh, Credit to the uh, the Dallas Mavericks for coming in there on the road and uh, and getting the job done in that uh, emphatic style. Mate, they they did. I mean, I'm not sure what uh, it was that uh, uh, that that turned it. I mean, I, we all know Luka Doncic is a great player, but I mean, the Suns were the number one team in the West. I think uh, they are the team with the third best record not to make their conference finals playoffs in the history of the NBA. Can you track what went wrong? Well, I think you have to give the Dallas Mavericks defense credit. You know, they, they were one of the best defensive teams uh, all season, made huge improvements on that side of the floor. And, it, you know, it's easy to kind of get caught up in, in what Luca and the offense is doing. But Jason Kidd put together a scheme. They were trapping the guards, uh, you know, before they even kind of got to the, the three-point line, contesting every shot. And, you know, they, they, they didn't have the same size advantage as, as the Suns, but they, they, they were able to, to run them off the floor. So I think just defensively, the Suns, our offense just didn't have an answer because Dallas, Dallas was everywhere. They were suffocating. They were, uh, and they and they certainly, uh, you know, um, really restricted what the Suns were able to do. Casey Frank, uh, former uh, Tall Black and Breakers player, had uh, had some interesting thoughts. I, I can to get your take on this. Um, 
about Kendall Jenner uh, breaking up with Devin Booker. <laughs> he he seems to think that uh, it was that she obviously had some money on on Doncic to get through to the finals. Uh, I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, I'm not too sure of the logistics of the uh, the Kardashian curses, but uh, uh, who knows? I mean, I mean Chris Paul, um, you know, he, he pulled up with potentially a quad injury. I don't know what the extent of that was throughout this series, but he definitely didn't look like himself either. And in a game where Chris Paul isn't firing on all cylinders, you need Devin Booker uh, getting buckets. That's that's his job on this team. But again, he, he really struggled uh, getting his shot off. So whether it was the Kardashians or, or an injury, whatever it was, it, it all it all went wrong for the Suns. Yeah, it did. Uh, what was it, 32% shooting between uh, Booker and Paul, I think, which is uh, atrocious. Uh, he did go on to say if the NBA Players Association really had player welfare at heart, they would put something in the bargaining agreement about not dating Kardashians. Uh, but <laughs> I'll, I'll let you read that thread uh, later on. Um, so, I mean, we got the Mavs going up against the Warriors, is it is it wrong of me to think, well, this is the Warriors all day and they'll probably do it like 4-1? I mean, on paper, it makes sense uh, because the Golden State Warriors have been terrific uh, in this postseason. But I, I'm not ready to sleep on the Dallas Mavericks just yet. They, they won the season series against the Warriors 3-1. Um, and look, the big job for them is how do they stop Luka Doncic? And I don't know if the Warriors necessarily have a clear-cut answer for that. The best player they probably had uh, defensively on the perimeter is uh, is Gary Payton uh, the second, and, and he, he obviously uh, is out for the remainder of the season. So now it's going to be who's the guy. Clay Thompson hasn't really been the same defensively this postseason. Is Andrew Wiggins going to come in and, and maybe try and do a job? Is it Jonathan Kaminga? It, it's going to have to be a team effort uh, from the Warriors. And, and, you know, it's not just the how do we stop Luka, because when you do kind of put all that pressure on him, the Mavs have guys that can knock down shots if, you, if you're going to send doubles his way. So... Um, I, I think the Mavs, you know, they'll be quietly confident. I mean, if you're a betting man, would you be looking for options on Draymond Green to to foul out in Game One? <laughs> well, I think that's that's the the thing that works in their favour. The the Mavericks aren't necessarily a huge team, um, you know, in terms of their front court. We, we don't really see guys like Boban get too much time on the floor. They do run smaller lineups, which definitely does suit the Warriors um, in terms of matching their style, but. I think this is going to be a pretty interesting chess match because, you know, while Steve Coach is, is a terrific coach and, you know, he's won titles, Jason Kidd has really proven himself this season, uh, you know, as, as an X's and O's guy, especially uh, on the defensive side of the floor. So as much as they have to worry about uh, containing Luka, it'll be interesting to see what he has in store for, uh, for the likes of Steph Curry and, uh, and Jordan Poole on the other end. Yeah, it's going to be a great series to watch that. I tell you, looking forward to uh, the Celtics versus the Heat as well. Um, that is the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, I'm, I, hands up, I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. I, I had them to beat the Bucks in Game 7, but I didn't see them beating the Bucks the way they beat the Bucks because, you know, sort of by about halfway through the third quarter, that game was done. Yeah, I mean, for all the talk of, of Game 7s, we got two, uh, two pretty unremarkable, um, you know, thrillers that we that we kind of hoped for. They were two pretty uh, easy blowouts. But um, again, credit to the Celtics. You know, they, they, they went down in this series and, and came back and won two big games, uh, closed it out on their home floor. And, and now they come up against the Heat, you know, for the second time in three seasons in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, they say Styles makes fights. This is going to be a bloodbath. These are two very defensive, hard-nosed teams. Um, I, I don't think we're going to get a lot of, you know, over 100 points each games from, uh, from these two teams. This is going to be some nice old-school playoff basketball. Yeah, I mean, this feels like this is going to go to a Game 7 as well. Is that, is that how you think it's going to go? 
I do. I, th- I think this one's going to be a very back-and-forth series. I think both teams are, are more than capable of winning uh, on the road. But then when you do come down to that uh, that seventh game in Miami, that, that's kind of what maybe swings the series uh, in the Heat's favour for me. Uh, but the Celtics have, you know, they've proven throughout this postseason that they're more than capable of, uh, of going into anyone's building and, uh, and getting a win. Yeah, I mean, and this Heat team, as good as it is, it's not the Heat team of, you know, a few years ago with, with, with the likes of Wade and LeBron. It's, it's a beatable Heat team. Yeah, and especially with, with guys like Kyle Lowry, he's struggling with injury. I know he's out for uh, for game one. Uh, and they have been a little bit up and down. Inconsistency has kind of plagued them uh, all season. And, you know, when you look down the roster, beyond Jimmy Butler, you don't really know who's going to be the next guy to step up. Uh, and that can be a good thing, too, because Tyler Hero, it can be Bam Adebayo. We've even seen Gabe Vincent come in and have big games, uh, Max Strews. So they, they do have a lot of different options. Uh, that they can throw at the uh, at the Boston Celtics, but yeah, in terms of momentum and and how they're rolling, the uh, the Celtics definitely look uh, look like they're they're coming into this series with a lot of confidence. I think uh, Jason Tatum's playing some fantastic basketball at the moment as well. Uh, I don't know if you if you how closely you watched uh, the game yesterday, but when he got, I think it was his fourth foul, he was driving to the basket, had his hands down low, went to lift the hands to get above the rim, and caught the jaw of of one of the Bucks players and got called a foul for that. I I, I was shaking. In my head uh, that, as they say over here, game's gone soft. What was that about? Yeah, you know how it is. Sometimes you, you know you, you, you get those calls, but it, the, the the thing with that is it's it's good to see Jason Tatum attacking the rim. That's that's when he's at his best. Um, so even despite you know not necessarily getting those calls, you, you want him in attack mode. But uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely been some some ticky tacky fouls in this uh, in this postseason. All right, so let's have a look at those two matchups. Then we've got the Warriors against the Mavs. Who do you like getting through to the NBA Finals and the West? Well, my heart says uh, Dallas, but my head says uh, has Golden State. I think the Golden State Warriors—they've they've been in too many of these situations before. I think uh, I think experience will prevail for them. And what about on the other side in the East? Uh, Celtics Heat. Which way are you going? I'm going to have to break your heart and go against the Celtics. I, I, I think home court advantage could play a big role in this, so I'm, uh, I'm going to go with the Heat in, uh, in seven games. Yeah, all right. Well, that's, uh, so it's going to be a, uh, a Heat Warriors uh, final series. Uh, who comes out on top then? Ooh, I, I, I'll probably have to go with the Warriors. It, mm. it, it, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And to be honest, it could be any four of these teams. This is the most even competition I've seen in, uh, in, in many years. But... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the Warriors just because they've been there before. Um, but it's yeah, it's a tough one. Who, who do you have winning it all? Oh, well, I mean, you know, if I if I'd leave my eye patch on, it's the Celtics. Um, but <laughs> I think it's going to be a Celtics Warriors, um, you know, final series. But you know, you look at that Warriors team, man, and it is so stacked. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the at the MVP uh, possibilities here for for the outright winner of the MVP, and you know, Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I mean, they've got so much. It could be any of those guys. It's hard to, hard to look past them, isn't it? Yeah, at this stage in the in the competition, it's it's experience really does matter. And like I said before, the Warriors have been in so many elimination situations. We saw them close out uh, their second round series with Game Six. Clay, like they've just they've just done this too many times, uh, and they know they know exactly what they're doing. They know who they are. Um, so that, that that matters for me uh, at this point in the in the, in the playoffs. But uh, like we've seen all season, anything uh, anything can happen. I'm I'm not ready to to write the Celtics off uh, at all. They've been uh, they've been terrific this season as well. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun uh, next couple of weeks of playoff basketball. I'm excited. 
It's uh, Benyam Kidane with us, uh, NBA Australia senior editor, uh, talking, uh, of course, the NBA playoffs. Looking back now at the Suns, what they did, they, they finished first in the West and then capitulated like they did. What what changes do you see happening in that organisation between now and the start of next season? I mean, any of the coach, you know, is, is, is the coach in danger of maybe losing his gig here? I I wouldn't think so. He just won Coach of the Year, so it would be pretty uh, pretty stiff to to give that uh, blame to Monty Williams. I think the interesting part for the Suns is what they do with DeAndre Ayton. We saw him only play 17 minutes, uh, you know, in that game seven. He's a he's a restricted free agent uh, this summer, so he can. Uh, you know, either get an offer from another team and potentially leave, or the Suns uh, can match whatever offer he receives. So that's going to be the big one for him, is how much the Suns are willing to pay to kind of keep this group intact, because their title window really was last season and this season, um, and if the front office is, is willing to kind of pony up the cash and, and keep the group together, uh, that'll kind of tell the story. Chris Paul's under contract for a few more seasons, Devin Booker's obviously there uh, long-term, but it's it's what they do with Aiden that I think will, will really kind of define uh, what this Phoenix Suns team is for the next few years. And over on the east, of course, we like to keep an eye on the Brooklyn Nets because of the New Zealand connection there. Um, they've got an ageing squad, but they've got a lot of potential. And then they've signed um, a Ben Simmons. I'm, I'm still not sure what Ben Simmons is for, to be honest. Um, what do you think they they need to do next season, the Nets, and how busy do you think they'll be uh, in, in terms of trades going into the next season? I think they just need to get everyone healthy and on the court. That's that's kind of been the curse for the Nets uh, over the past couple of seasons is we haven't really seen them uh, at full flight. Even when James Harden was there, you know, he was in and out with injuries. Kyrie obviously uh, missing a lot of games this season and, and Ben Simmons has yet to play a game. So if they can actually get these guys healthy, get them on the court, have a, have a good summer, uh, a good training camp and, and actually figure out who they are as a team, I think the pieces they actually have there uh, they're going to get Joe Harris back as well. Um, they they do have a solid roster, uh, but we've just not actually seen the roster in uh, in full flight just yet. No, it's uh, it's going to be interesting if they can get them all fit. And if Ben Simmons decides he actually wants to play basketball for a season, that'd be a nice change, wouldn't it? Well, hopefully it'll be good to see Simmons back out on the floor because he addresses a lot of the issues the Brooklyn Nets have, which is defense uh, and shot creation. They're an isolation-heavy team. Uh, they don't move the ball that well just because they have Kyrie and KD. You don't really need to. So I think Simmons coming back in could be a huge boost for them, especially just defensively and, uh, and giving them some size. We saw how much they struggled uh, in that first round against the, uh, the Celtics. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to come there and save the Nets, but he's definitely going to help. Where's his stock at, Ben Simmons, with the Australian public? Because I would imagine the way he um, behaved uh towards the end at the 76ers hasn't gone down particularly well and then he seemed to pick and choose when or when he wasn't going to play for the Nets after the trade as well. Yeah, look, it's probably at an all-time low just because, you know, it's been over, you know, we're heading into a year since since he's actually stepped onto the court game six of that uh, that Hawks series last season and then obviously missing the Olympics and, and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a tough one for him. Um, you know, because he does have a lot of supporters here and, and you know, he is still a, a terrific player. This is a three-time All-Star, a defensive player of the year runner-up. So I think it's just a matter of him getting back out on the court because people just haven't seen him. They want to see him out there, which is why I think people are frustrated. But if he can get himself healthy, get himself right uh, after that back surgery and, uh, and also mentally as well, 
uh, and get back into the game. I think you know the title turned pretty quickly because you know Ben Simmons is, uh, is still that guy. Yeah, well, hopefully we get to see him uh, do what he's best at and uh, and and get to see that uh, at the start of next season and help the Nets uh, through that season too. Hey, Ben, thanks very much for coming on, man. It's uh, always good to talk ball with you. Go well and enjoy the rest of the playoffs, eh? I appreciate you having me on, likewise. Yeah, will do, man. Uh, ben Yam Kidane there from NBA Australia is the senior editor over there. And uh, yeah, those games coming up uh, Wednesday and Thursday, the first two games of the Western and Eastern Conference final series. Uh, we do have uh, some prices for you uh, from uh, the TAB. That first game, which is tomorrow, the Heat are favourites in Miami at $1.77 against the Celtics at uh, $2. And then on Thursday, the Golden State Warriors are big favourites at home against the Mavs. They're paying $1.44. The Mavs are paying $2.70. It's 18 past 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. No Smithy at the moment. He will be back for you next week, of course. And you can watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.23 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball filling in for Smithy. Uh, You can join us each week as we use uh, and try to raise funds for four New Zealand charities thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. It is the Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. And we've also teamed up with the Auckland Greyhound Racing Club to get you out of the dog dog box, if you're in the dog box, uh, of course, or maybe it's a preemptive strike. Uh, But simply text DOG to double eight. Double three, double eight, double three. Your chance to win a VIP date at the Duke of Edinburgh Silver Holiday. So there you go. If you think uh, that might get you out of trouble, or at least buy you some brownie points, double eight, double three, and text dog to that number, and you're in the draw uh, to win that VIP date at the Duke of Edinburgh. Silver Collar Day. Now, earlier in the day, we were talking about uh, the Wellington Phoenix and the. Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players. Uh, we've had quite a few texts through on that. You can keep those coming through on double eight double three. Uh, that is the Temper Bedpost text line. Clayton Lewis did chip in with his, of course, uh, the man who plays currently for the Wellington Phoenix and is part of the all-white squad that has been named for those three games in June, culminating in the intercontinental playoff clash with Costa Rica that gets to decide who makes the World Cup. He went with Andrew Durante, Paul Eiffel, Tim Brown and his current teammate Ollie Sale and goal who has had a fantastic season and I think Ollie Sale is still under contract at the Phoenix but I doubt we'll see him in a Phoenix jersey next season because I think you know the way the club is run they're about developing players moving those players on they did it with Liberato Kakache they received the fee for him I think Ollie Sale will be the next one because he's been the best player goalkeeper in the A-League this season just gone and I think there'll be plenty of clubs looking at him Logan yeah, I wouldn't be surprised about that either, Ricardo. Uh, last week, a great friend of the show, Jacob Spoonley, was on chatting with Smithy about that uh, and about the play of Oli Sale, and he's just suspecting European clubs to be lining up, knocking on his door, wanting to to sign him up. Uh, he's been going great guns, obviously, uh, defending the line there for them and keeping the ball out. Great season with the Phoenix. Um, we were talking earlier about, well, if, if I had a team, 
And, yep. I, I, and I guess officially I don't. So I know we we have a lot of uh, passionate football fans that do listen into the show. So text us through uh, double eight double three on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Who is your team? And why? Like, why Why should someone who is just getting into football, um, why should they support that team? I'd love to know. Yeah, well, okay. Logan uh, wants to know who he should support. Logan, uh, what about uh, your your, your uh, heritage? Uh, do you have any, any links back to the UK? <laughs> My heritage. So uh, if you hear the name Swinkles... That's, that's, that's not British at all. That's Dutch. Right, okay. Uh, so, But no, I haven't really looked into the Dutch side of things. I remember there was a player, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. I think he played for Newcastle back in the 90s. Right. Uh, gosh, I can't believe I can't remember. Oh, and maybe Arsenal. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name at all. He was on the cover of like the FIFA games and stuff like, back in the day. Like Dennis Burkamp. Yes. Right. Yes, Burkamp. Yes. Yep. So that's the last Dutch player that I remember. So um, yeah, I'm not really keen so much about the heritage side of things. I just want to know, like, why do you support the team that you support? Everyone has a really interesting football story. So let us know, double eight, double three. that's the Temper Bedpost text machine. Who should Logan support and why do you support that team? Uh, we were also talking earlier um, about Josh Cavallo, the Australian player uh, that came out uh, publicly and uh, there's been a, a British player as well who has done it, plays for Blackpool, um, has come out to be publicly, I think, the uh, first openly gay current player playing the game in England in the second tier with Blackpool. And we got talking about that and whether or not New Zealand's ready for there to be an openly gay All Black because as far as I'm aware we haven't had one PJ did text us through, he said if we have a gay All Black it should totally be their choice to declare it, not the media's totally agree with you PJ, not what we're saying, we're not saying that they should come out we're just saying, you know, uh, is New Zealand ready for that to happen Uh, PJ goes on to say if they make the team, I'd be more than happy to support them. Thanks for your text. PJ, keep those coming through, Double eight, double three. That is the Temper Bed Post text machine, and uh, we'll continue to talk those. And, of course, the Wellington Phoenix as well, and those uh, Mount Rushmore's. So keep your Mount Rushmore's coming through. I'm going to unveil mine a little closer to midday. I know Logan is going to do the same. Uh, we do actually have some football tonight coming up from the A-League because uh, it does continue on despite the Phoenix no longer being there and uh, one of the games uh, tonight is because once you get to the semi-finals it's home and away and it's Western United who finished third playing the Melbourne Victory who finished second in the league Uh, so this one is at Western United and the market uh, looks like this. Western United, three seventy-five. The Melbourne Victory, a dollar ninety-one, and the draw at three dollars fifty. For me, I think Melbourne Victory win this at a dollar ninety-one. In fact, I've put a wee, uh, I've put a wee same game multi together, Logan. Um, I had, a, I had a win this morning uh, betting on Newcastle and Huddersfield and uh, out of the UK. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd back that up and, and reinvest some of my winnings. So this is what I've gone for. I've gone Melbourne Victory to win head to head. I've gone Marco Rojas to be any time goal scorer in the match. And I've gone Neil Kilkenny, who plays for Western United, to be booked at some point in the match. Now, Neil Kilkenny is a defensive midfielder, so his job is to stop attackers. And he used to play for Leeds, who, as we know, are filthy, dirty, dirty Leeds. So if anyone's going to get booked, it's going to be him. So I've put those three together as the same game. Multi pays $11. Um, so see, watch that coming tonight, mate. Watch that coming tonight.
Uh, I can't wait to hear the success story about this when you're back in the studio on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. So follow me in if you if you like. Uh, follow me in if you like. Uh, still to come, of course, Stumped with Smithy, although it's Stumped with Ricardo. If you want to play Stumped with Ricardo and win yourself a $50 TAB bonus bet and some sleep drops, give us a call now, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. And we'll come back with uh, the Stumped with Smithy. We'll unveil our Mount Rushmore's of Wellington Phoenix players as well. And we will talk about your text on double eight double three. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, welcome into Stumped by Ricardo potentially today. We'll see Smithy taking a, a well-deserved break. Uh, before we get into the questions and our guests and everything going on with Stumped, uh, we just had a text come through. Uh, Ricardo from Brett on the Temper Bear Post text machine saying that I have to support Arsenal because uh, they're the arch rivals to Smithy's team. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point, Brett. The only problem for you, Logan, is that Arsenal got beat 2-0 by Newcastle this morning, which means Spurs stay ahead of them in the race for fourth place, which means Champions League football next season. And Spurs have got Norwich away, who are already relegated and are woeful, so they won't lose that game. So Arsenal won't be playing Champions League next season. So you'll just walk into a barrage from Smithy about that for a start. <laughs> yeah. You you mentioned off here just before that, hey, maybe I should show up to work on Monday in an Arsenal show. Yeah, not happening. I, I like my job. I like my job. Let's say that. Uh, but yes, st- it is time for stumped and up for grabs today is a fifty dollars TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Check out sleepdrops.co.nz. Joining us at the crease first, Ricardo. We have Mark. Come in, Mark. Where are you calling from? Uh, calling from New Plymouth, mate. Oh, I love the Naki. Naki hardcore. Now that Kempi's on board, all the Naki listeners come out of the woodwork. <laughs> uh, he's a legend in uh, in Taranaki, old Kempi. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. All right, so I'll just give. I'll run you through the topics and you know how the game works. Topics for you today, Mark. Ah, Formula One, the Stanley Cup, and rugby league. Who? Well, I, I couldn't say as an expert on any of those, but I'll um, I'll go uh, I'll go rugby league. These ones, these questions come courtesy of uh, a lovely panelist, Brian Bardade. These might stump you, Ricardo. We'll see how we go. Mm. <laughs> Could be tricky. First one for you, Mark. What year was the Kiwis' first official match? God Almighty. Um, will be a complete stab in the dark, but uh, I think Ricardo might struggle as well. I'll say um, 1925. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You have to go possibly a bit further than that, Ricardo. Rack your brains, mate. I, honestly, I'll be I very thinking, surprised if you know this. I was just thinking when Rugby League was actually invented as a breakaway from Rugby Union, there was a team called the All Golds that went, and I think it was in the 1930s, so I'm going to say 1933. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You were on the right track when you said All Golds. But maybe uh, subtract another 30 years off uh, that. It was 1908. So you're still alive, Mark. 
and just so you oh. know, that their first game <laughs> was against Wales and the New Zealand All Goals lost 9-8. Second question. The 16th version of the Rugby League World Cup will be held later this year in England. When was the first Rugby League World Cup held? God almighty. Um, don't know. I haven't got a clue. But I will have a stab. First Rugby League World Cup. I don't think it was that long ago. Um... One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo, is a history lesson today, these questions? <laughs> they are. Um, well, it's a tricky one because, in a way, uh, Mark's right, because only recently we had a tournament tournament. It used to be in rugby league that over a period of four years they would measure all the results and then the two top teams with results would then play off in like a rugby world, uh, rugby league World Cup final. Mm. Just a one-off. It wasn't really a tournament. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I understand why he's gone more recently. I think, though, France used to be really strong in the 50s and I think they were one of the teams that used to dominate. So I'm going to go... I don't know, maybe 1954. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, 1954. So, sorry, Mark, you are back to the pavilion. Wow, was it, what a guess. Was it a guess? It was a guess. It was, well, it was educated guess, but I knew it was 50 sometime. I just couldn't, th- I just didn't know the year exactly. Yeah, you, you were coming from the Smithy School there, stumping there, where you sort of line up your knowledge and then you just knocked all the bales off. <laughs> but hey, next in line, we have Ben from Christchurch. How's your rugby league knowledge, Ben? Uh, I don't think I would have got those two questions, but I'm the, I am a league kid, so. I do back myself, but I wouldn't have got those two. Okay, I like that you back yourself, Ben. So good luck to you on the final question. Still up for grabs is a $50 TAB bonus bet and the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. The Rugby League World Rankings have Latvia last at number 47. Our mighty Kiwis, first place. What is the Aussie team's current world ranking? Uh, I believe the fourth. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Mate, love to hear that. Love to hear that. Yes, fourth. How good is that? Australia, fourth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope there's some Aussie listeners listening right now too. (laughs) Uh, We can tell you for a fact Yeah there probably is They like to text in every now and then So they are behind Tonga, England and New Zealand So congratulations Ben You do win that $50 $50 TAB bonus bet And the sleep drops Good work son Beautiful Thank you very much guys No worries mate Go well Ben Uh, Anything Any idea what you might invest that on? I tell you what I was actually thinking I might chuck it on that Uh that $11 thing you were just saying before. What was it again? So uh, Melbourne victory to win head-to-head. Marco Rojas, any time yep. goal scorer. And Neil Kilkenny to be booked. Yeah, all right. I'll tell you what, I'll put it on that. All right. It comes in, I'll shout you. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, Ben. I'm on it as well, yeah. buddy. I'm on it as well. But, uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be well spent. Go well, mate, and good luck with that bet too, eh? Hey, thank you very much, guys.
No worries at all. It is 21 away from midday here on SENZ. Keep your texts coming in, Double eight, double three. It is a temper bed post text machine for your Wellington Phoenix Rushmore or Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players. Uh, we had this one come in and uh, couldn't agree more on this one, uh, which gives away one of the players and my four. Shane Smeltz was the second highest goal scorer in the A-League. If you leave him out of the top four best Phoenix players ever, you're not a football scribe. Uh, no name attached to that, but yeah, uh, Smeltzy has definitely made my team. We'll give that away coming up shortly here on SENZ. For all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. <laughs> It's a quarter to 12 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. And uh, we are going to unveil now our Mount Rushmore of Wellington Phoenix players. And uh, we've been doing it all day and taking your thoughts. I know Zaid called in a little earlier uh, when we were doing our talkback. And uh, he had Jeremy Brocky, Mark Paston, Roy Krishna and Liberato Kikache. Um, I mentioned earlier too. Clayton Lewis had gone with Andrew Durante, Paul Eiffel, Tim Brown and Ollie Sale. And we've had plenty of texts on this throughout this morning, Logan, and been a few names that have cropped up many, many times. There has. uh, So I know there's probably a few here that won't really surprise some listeners. Before before we get into it, though, I will preface this by saying... uh, and we had a text there saying, if you don't have Shane Smouse in, in your top four, you're not a football scribe. Well, I am not a football scribe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's confirmed then. That's confirmed. Okay, well, uh, so do you want to go first or shall I go first? You go first, mate. You're in the hot seat. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go first. And team, that one's already out of the bag here. It's Shane Smeltz. It has to be Shane Smeltz for me. He has to be uh, one of those four because Shane Smeltz, you know, he came in at the start of the Phoenix. Uh, he'd been playing non-league at the time for AFC Wimbledon in the UK, was, dis- uh, you know, sort of rediscovered, if you like, by Ricky Herbert, who was the All-Whites and Phoenix coach at the time, brought over... And in his first two seasons, scored 21 goals and 39 appearances. And in his second season with us was the Golden Boot in the A-League and won the Johnny Warren Medal, which is basically the MVP for the A-League. And Simon Elliott curls it in. Oh, and a touch in! New Zealand remarkably break the deadlock. Shane Smeltz takes the congratulations of the players. Well, a great flight of delivery from Elliot. It was Reed's flick. It was Cannavaro who couldn't really get any clean contact. Look who was there to just poke it in. Not bad for a bloke who played for AFC Wimbledon and the Phoenix. So, of course, that wasn't for the Phoenix. It was for the All Whites against Italy at the 2010 World Cup, Logan. Yeah, if you couldn't tell there by the constant buzz of the Vuvu sellers there in South Africa. Oh, man, how good was that World Cup? I love that. So, the way I've done, I've kind of structured my Mount Rushmore here or my Mount Victoria, Ricardo. I've gone positionally. So, okay. goalie, back. Uh, midfielder and then a striker. So I'm going to start with my goalie, my goalkeeper. I tossed and turned a little bit, uh, not in my sleep, but I, I did toss and turn a little bit about this when we were sort of going through the list. Ollie Sale, yeah, he's been great, you know, especially like this season, his performances have really helped catapult this Phoenix team at a time that has been so hard for, you know, New Zealand teams in Australia. 
But I, I'm going back to to Moss, Glenn Moss. I rate Glenn Moss as a goalkeeper. He always had this air about him that he he had everything under control. I felt confident when he was between the sticks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tossed between it was either Paston or or uh, Glenn Moss, but yes, definitely Moss. Here we go. Fantastic, Nick Fitzgerald. This is without doubt possibly the save of the season. This is incredible. Incredible save there at the North Sydney Oval back in the day. Glenn Moss, he's my goalkeeper on the Mount Rushmore. All right. Well, my second uh, player for Mount Rushmore is a guy that's been mentioned plenty of times, and I don't think uh, you can have uh, a conversation about the best four Phoenix players ever uh, without talking about him, and that is uh, Andrew Durante. 273 games for the Phoenix, captain of the Phoenix for a lot of that as well. Um, he was an Austra- he's obviously Australian, but he, he was here so long, doing it so much, that he ended up playing for the Orwits and, and qualifying for New Zealand. So I think you've got to have Jura in there as uh, part of your Mount Rushmore. One of us, one of us. Yeah, and, and with that, with that 273 uh, league appearances, most by a Phoenix player, uh, and he is my back. Uh, I couldn't really go past uh, Andrew Durante myself. Yeah, no, had to be done. Andrew Durante becomes the A League's all-time games record holder. Chalked up so many games over the last, I think, it's 13 seasons now is um, yeah, pretty special. I'm proud of it. Yeah, what a special player uh, for the Wellington Phoenix. I'll go now to my midfield, uh, and I was blown away when I when I was looking up YouTube, you know, goals and and whatnot, highlights to play in this segment. This goal from Tim Brown back in 2011 against Sydney FC. Just outstanding. I'll play it. And Phoenix fans out there, I'm sure you're visualizing this goal right now. Enjoy. Brown reading it well. Brown, Brown over ready. Brown, what a goal. One of the stunners in the Hyundai A-League. That is brilliance from Brown. Nicky Carl bundled off the ball by Tim Brown. Knows exactly what he's doing. Fortunately for him, this time it didn't. What a goal from Tim Brown! Just one of the. You got to look this up on YouTube. It's just one of those things where the goalie sends it right back, and Tim Brown he puts a big poster stamp on it and says, "See you later, son. I'm going for gold in here." Wow, outstanding! So yeah, he is up there. My Mount Rushmore, my Mount Victoria in the midfield. Yeah, Tim Brown. Yeah, a fantastic captain for the Phoenix as well before Jura, and that was a great goal. I remember that goal uh, very well. All right, uh, my third one is a bloke who is, uh, I think, been the best import. You could argue uh, that the Phoenix have ever had, and they've had some goodies. Ulysses De Vere would be one. Of course, Chris Greenacre, great servant. David Ball, a great servant. But I don't think any of them beat a bloke who once played in an FA Cup final against Manchester United. I'm talking about the one and only Paul Eiffel. His ability to drift the ball in behind defences. Brown with numbers. Finds Eiffel. Eiffel against Kandorowski. Eiffel! Oh, what a goal! Paul Eiffel! 
Newcastle. He might be tired, but he might just be a hero. Well, he doesn't look tired now, does he, Paul Lightfall? Sprinted about 50, 60, 70, 80 metres in celebration. I don't think his teammates are that happy, and no one's chasing him, really. What a goal. One on one again. Goes outside this time and rips that into the far post. He had everything, Paul Eiffel. 106 games, 33 goals. Uh, but he was a playmaker as well as a striker. Uh, fantastic player and still, I think, the best import the Phoenix have ever had. And his middle name is Everton. You know? <laughs> Really? Wow. Really? Uh, he, just, he was born to be a f- uh, great footballer, wasn't he? Uh, I almost went for Paul Eiffel yeah. uh, myself as as the striker. Very clutch play for the Phoenix. I mean, you hear that in the commentary, and I love that he ran all the way to the other end of the ground, and the rest of his team was like, what are you doing, man? No, I, I got a bit of a personal story here. <laughs> this goes back to uh, in Fiji a few years ago. Uh, we were in Suva Airport. This isn't the reason why I'm picking him, but it's just a little personal story to give you a little attachment. Uh, my father-in-law was like, is that Roy Krishna? <laughs> I'm like, why would it be Roy Krishna? No, it was Roy Krishna and Grant, my father-in-law, goes up to him, gives him his uh, boarding pass and asks for his autograph. And Roy Krishna, being the great man that he is, he did that, did exactly that. But because he is, he scored the most goals in a season for the Phoenix, and is the all-time leading goal scorer for the Phoenix with 51. Roy Krishna, he is top of my Mount Rushmore. The Phoenix look to score their second through Krishna. Roy Krishna has the Phoenix's season scoring record all to himself. Hey, there you go, Roy Krishna, great player as well uh, for the Phoenix. Uh, we're six away from midday. When we come back, I'll unveil my last player. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.